0: Welcome to the How Soccer Explains Leadership podcast, where we explore leadership principles through the lens of the beautiful game. Welcome back to How Soccer Explains Leadership. Thanks again for being a part of the conversation. We have another great show. I'm Phil Dark, your host. Got Paul Jobson here with me. And we also have another Paul with us today. We got Paul McVeigh. We're here The morning of the semifinal of the World Cup, a World Cup where I will say I picked very, very few right things. I'm not going to lie. So, Paul, I think we went back to that list that we put together at the beginning of that World Cup. It would not be very close to what we're seeing in this semi. But when this airs, semis are going to be over. So you're going to be saying, man, you guys got it wrong again. Or, man, you guys are brilliant. One of those two probably won't be the latter, even if we get the picks right. But, Paul, how are you doing, man? How have you enjoyed this cup? I mean, it's been awesome. and I think that I think the fact that we
1: didn't pick it correctly means it's been a great World Cup. I mean, I love the surprises. I love the yeah. back and forth. I love the fact that we're about to, you know, we're about to you know watch the first African nation in a semifinal this year and just it's been so much fun to watch. i love I love the fact that you just don't know what's what's coming. So for me, that's been fun. i'm I'm looking forward to, when we get to the end to look back and see how badly we, we we projected this tournament to be, and it's going to be a little confusing today, Paul. Because I mean, Phil and Paul, because yeah. there are two Pauls on the call, right? So we will we'll decipher what that is, but we'll we'll know that from here on out, most of the questions are going to be for Paul McVeigh, our guest, and right. not for me. So I think we'll sort that out. But excited to get on here with with Paul and get talking here about about this conversation. So excited Absolutely. to be with us today.
0: We'll talk more about World Cup. I mean, we've, I'm sure we'll spatter it in today, but we'll talk more about that in our, our post, or our, actually our halftime show for this season, which will likely be a World Cup review show as well. But we do today have Paul McVeigh. Paul played many years in the Premier League, has been, actually got to his master's in psychology as well. And from what I'm reading, the first Premier League player to do that, but Paul, correct me if I'm wrong on that, but Paul... How are you doing today, man?
2: Yeah, I'm embarrassingly well. Thanks very much for having me, guys. And I, and I was just thinking that as I was about to dive in mm-hmm. with the answer to the first question you asked, and I was like, oh, that's for Paul Jobs and all. Like <laughs> <laughs> you guys talk first of all, and then I'm sure we'll get on to my stuff later.
0: Yeah, we had we had another fill on at some point too. So it, you know, we 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 figure it out. We figure it out. We we will make this work. So Paul McVeigh, we always like to start with just briefly sharing your story. I, I kind of teased it a little bit there, but really, how you developed your passion for for football, how you have developed your passion for sport and performance psychology that you're doing today. Yeah, it's uh, well. How long have we got? Because it's
2: it's a pretty long story. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, even though I I. I do look like a fourteen-year-old, but I've been in this elite performance environment for thirty years now. So it was—it was whenever I left Belfast in Ireland at the age of sixteen, and I was very, very fortunate to go and join Tottenham Hotspur over over in England. And and for me, that was just such a such a huge life event to be able to, you know, leave your family and friends behind. And and I probably didn't realize at the time of just how significant that would be, and probably why my My mom was in in tears and uncontrollable sobbing because she just knew I was never going to be coming home again and, and leaving at the tender age of 16. But as a 16 year old kid, I don't know what you guys were like, but all I wanted to do was play football. I just wanted to play professionally. I just wanted to be in that environment all the time. And so the first opportunity... I was, I was grabbing him with both hands. And, and, and it was really fascinating, and I suppose this is good because this this next part of the story goes will probably resonate well with anyone who's listening across the US because my first day at Tottenham Hotspur, I was very fortunate to train and play alongside a guy called Jürgen Klinsmann. Yeah. And it was because Spurs had just signed him after the, the World Cup. They'd just been in the USA and in 94, and Spurs signed him. And I remember just training next to this guy and he was obviously already a world cup winner at the time. He was an absolute global superstar and, and incredibly humble as well, which was, which was fascinating for me to have this perception of what world cup winners could be like and realizing how modest he was. And, and to be able to train with him on my first day, probably for most of the guys, they were you know, delighted. They were you know so energized and, and so happy to be with him. And unfortunately for me, it, it probably pronounced my inferiority complex that I had as a kid. And this is very tough to sort of to show when we're doing a, you know, a call like this when you guys are on the other side of the world where I'm over in the UK, but you know, I'm only five foot six. So I always probably had that inferiority complex that it was always too small. I had lots of players, managers tell me I was too small. I could you know, compete against other teenagers I was struggling to compete physically and even technically because they just developed faster and more than I was. So that really heightened it when I met Jürgen Klinsman And and of course, as we'll probably get into the rest of the story, it was a tough start, but then very quickly get into this world of of psychology and mindset and, and growth mindset. And it was actually by reading a book by a US author, a guy called Anthony Robbins, Tony Robbins. And, mm-hmm. and to be able to read a book, of this kind of, in this ilk of of personal development, as a seventeen year old kid, and you know, it was a, it was a quite a quite a big chunky book. There was probably five hundred pages in it, and for someone to offer that book to me, for me a for me to read it, b for me to then apply it to the things I was doing in my life, was just a complete game changer because I suddenly went down
0: a very very different path than what I was currently going down. Yeah, and and it, I'm just gonna put you at ease today i i'm a 5'8 goalkeeper and paul is you know <laughs> you guys, five foot two are, i think and you guys so are, he you is guys are
1: ginormous people you're yeah, huge you yeah know? five so, six you got two whole inches on me paul so so you um, are i'm, I'm you feeling are, you
0: yeah you're you're in good well, i've company. just learned
1: phil that the difference between like an average player and a great player is is not anything more than just the two inches five four to five six and i been two
0: inches taller
1: maybe you
0: know and you know and, and i was two inches too tall and that I'm I'm seeing that. And so I'm just a giant on this conversation. So I feel I feel pretty good right now. I'm not Paul, this he's not gonna want to get ever. off this call because he feels just, really amazing right
1: now. It's this is not going very well as as we get started, Paul. But but Paul, I think I mean I, I, I love that. I love hearing people's stories, and I think you know this as well as anybody and the people that listen to this show here this week in and week out, how different everybody's story is when it comes to the game of football and our paths are also different. I think that could be a really encouraging thing to young people when they just see, you know, in social media, one thing after the other, That it looks very, very similar, right. Time in and time out, but to know that everybody's story is different and you kind of have to make your own story and, and follow, follow whatever path that, you know, God has before you or whatever that may be. So I appreciate the things you share some great things that I know we'll dive more into and you may be hit a little bit of it, but in your, in your plus dive into your playing career a little bit, what, what were some defining moments as a player that have really maybe directed your path now in the in the business world. What what are some of those things maybe that as you look back kind of stand out as defining moments as a as a player? You can look back now as you're kind of running your own business and, and doing your day in and day out. You're like, okay, that that's kind of made me who I am today as mm-hmm. I interact with people through business.
2: Yeah, it's really interesting you asked that because even last week I was delivering a a keynote speech to one of our one of our corporate clients as part of of part of these kind of longer term leadership programs that we deliver and and the whole subject of failure came up in the in the conversation Mm -hmm. essentially I was we were trying to tease out from them you know kind of what things do you want and what don't you want and and the don't wants list came up that you know that they didn't really want failure or, or setbacks and and I was just started questioning and I was like well why don't you want failure why don't you want setbacks and they're like, well, no, who, who enjoys them? And you know, nobody likes that stuff. And I said, Yeah, but how many opportunities are there for you to grow whenever these things happen? And and if this is the I suppose the challenge that most people have, because you know, I don't think anyone sets out to feel or no one sets out to come across these real obstacles in the road. But even if you look at how if a team plays or an individual plays on a, on a weekend and they either play well or they win the match or they score or whatever they want to do. Afterwards, there's probably way less analysis or introspection of, of, of how you've done versus the same individual, the same team who go out, have a really terrible performance, don't score the goal, don't win the game or don't win the competition or whatever it is, and just how much they'll then analyse, start looking inwardly, start probably blaming themselves all of the things that that probably you do start learning from and and these opportunities. So that was probably going back to when I talk about this book and why I was such a game changer. And I suppose it introduced me to this whole concept of reframing and this psychological technique of, you know, it's, it's never actually what happens that's, that's important to you. You know, there's, there's, if I was, if I'm going to give you the highlights of my career, you know, I'd probably say, Well, very fortunate to play nearly 20 years as a professional in the English leagues. I was, you know, played internationally against the best teams in the world, Spain, Italy, France, Germany. You know, just so fortunate. Won championships. We played at Wembley. We, you know, did all of these incredible things. And that's great because that's one angle of how you look at this sort of career. But the other side of this exact same coin, I'd be saying, well, I was released from every club I ever played for. (laughs) <laughs> and no coach ever paid one pound, one dollar, one cent for me in my entire career. So how does that all end up into the same, you know, mishmash of a 20 year professional footballing and career? And, and, it, and it, unfortunately it is, that's, that's just the way it goes. You have so many highs and lows, so many ups and downs, but actually to answer your question, it was the learnings, it was the, the frustration, the anger, you know, getting really paid off just because of a certain coach or another coach or another manager said, I just don't think you're good enough to play in this league or at this level. And it just gave me more and more hurt and anger, but also more and more motivation and resilience to be able to prove them wrong and also to prove me right. Because as much as I had the inferiority complex, when I met Jurgen Klinsmann, whenever I was 16 on my first day at Tottenham Hotspur, by 19, and as the story progressed, one of the players who came through the youth team with me ended up, made his debut against Manchester United in that kind of amazing team of, you know, David Beckham and Roy Keane and Paul Scholes and all these outstanding players that Manchester United had in the late 90s. My, te- my youth team player who came through the same same level of me played against Manchester United in the Premier League, live on TV, scored against them. And in the exact same moment, I suddenly shifted or switched the belief that I didn't think I was capable of doing it, but because he did it, and so could I. And three months later, I'd made my Premier League debut and scored on my home Premier League debut. And, and that, for me, was just such a massive change and shift in what's possible.
1: Yeah, that's that's awesome. I, I think there's this, going back to kind of what you were saying at the beginning of that, how many people avoid failure? You know, they They, they work so hard not to fail that they almost <laughs> – probably don't reach their potential, right? Because they've avoided the the failures that are going to make them eventually stronger in whatever it is that they're they're going to do. And I, I know coaching, you know, being in the college game for 17 years, you know, there's so many kids trying to avoid that failure moment that they just want to jump on to the the next thing and the grass is always greener somewhere else instead of sticking through something and maybe failing a little bit and maybe becoming stronger on the other side of it. Like you're saying, I think we're missing some of those, some of those moments. So I appreciate your, Your your valuable lesson that we can learn kind of learn through your experiences at a really really high level.
0: Yeah, I love that you kind of hit the flip side of what people will look at. They look at the resume and go, "That's amazing," you know, and it is, right? I mean, you had, as you said, you're extremely fortunate. Got to do what a lot of people don't get to do. A lot of people strive for. I know my 11 year old. That's that's his dream. You know, is to play at the levels you got to play at and. And, you know, and who knows, you know, it did happen for you. It could happen. You know, you just, you just got to see what, uh, what 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 that plan is. But the other side of it, you know, you let go. People, as as you said in your book, you know, people don't they don't they don't care about you at the end of the day. You know, right? You're very dispensable. I mean, it's they do, but, but what's that? It's just yeah. a transaction. Exactly. I was an attorney for eight years. And I tell people, if you ever want to feel dispensable, go work at a law firm. Because when you leave, they, they don't, you know, they don't throw a party for you. They're, they're gone and then they keep going and somehow it keeps going without you. And it, they do, you know, all the firms that I left are now way better and bigger than when I left them. So that's just the reality of life. And and it's not to say, oh, we'll go through life in that way. No, go through life and go, you know what? There's there's opportunities to learn from those things and to take from it what you can. And, you know, and, and you don't have to be that type of leader as well, right? You can be that transformational leader. What does that look like? And and you wrote a book. So I, I love the title of this book. It might be one of the, the fav, my favorite titles of a book that I've seen called The Stupid Footballer is Dead. First of all, why did you write this book? Because not, not a lot of people are writing books, uh, especially these days. And how'd you come up with that title? That
2: is so weird that you ask that because I actually had the title when I was 21 and I played for another 11 years And then when I stopped playing at the age of 32 and then started writing it a year later when I went into work in the corporate world as as this keynote speaker and delivering these leadership programs. And I just thought, I feel like I had a lot of understanding and knowledge of of, of like the the psychological principles or the framework of high performance. And I I was constantly getting asked questions by whether it's people in the corporate world, people in the sporting world whether it was, you know, former players, current players, current coaches, you know, how did you do that? What you did, how do you implement the psychology of the mindset piece into the whole bigger performance element? And ultimately, for me, it was just something that I'd always wanted to work on. Because even when I made my debut at 19, the first thing I went and did was went and got a sports psychologist, not because my career was going downhill, and I was at this, you know, real crossroads, it was more because, I had already at that stage, and again, probably got it from the Tony Robbins book. But if that's the level I'm performing at, well, how do I get better? Because you know, technically, I'm probably not going to improve that much by by the age of 20. You're kind of you're virtually where you're going to be for most of your career. Physically, again, I'm only five feet six. What's that? Like one meter sixty-seven. I'm not probably going to grow a lot. I can get a little bit stronger, a little bit bigger, but again, probably I'm where I am. But this massive growth area and the huge potential that I saw was around the psychology. So started doing things like visualizations, even practical applications, like started doing yoga. Again, you think yoga is a physical thing and and I didn't really do it for the meditative benefits or the the mental benefits of yoga, but the fact that I was open-minded enough to start doing yoga when I was 17. And then that's a whole other story of what happened whenever I then probably didn't have the what's called the bravery, the cojones to bring my yoga mat into the into horrid the City <laughs> and go in. And just because I wasn't, probably didn't feel like I was established to do it but then once I started playing every week scoring goal become top scorer I was like I'm bringing this in I'm kind of you know feel like the main <laughs> man here and then what happened on my first day of bringing the yoga mat in doing my yoga in the side of the room next to the physio room I was getting so much abuse mental abuse <laughs> you know verbal <laughs> physical things flying at me but again I was like this is so weird I'm just doing a little bit of yoga and everyone else because they'd never seen it before was giving me dogs abuse but of course I went out training came back in. And of course, they cut my yoga mat up into a hundred little pieces. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, great, that's it. I'm, you know, as you'll get to know me, you know, I'm, I'm a stubborn little guy. So I'm like, right, off to get another one, bought another one, brought in the next day. Same thing happened. Loads of abuse before training. Tried to hide the yoga mat this time. <laughs> and then whenever I went back in after training, they literally set it on fire. <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> like right. Not gonna beat me. So then the third day, I got my third yoga mat. Same thing, abuse. When they trained and came back, they brought it into the car park, and there was cars. They were doing skids and donuts and everything on. I'm like, oh my god. By the fourth day, I finally they just got bored. You know, Neanderthals. They just got bored. Couldn't be bothered picking on me anymore. Until eventually, what do you think happened?
0: they started doing yoga
2: six weeks suddenly one of the guys just poked his head around the door I was like Marco what are you doing and I went I'm just doing some stretching it's not it's not and they're like but we're going to do that in the warm-up and I said yeah but I feel like if I do this here by the time I get out to the training field then I will be 100% ready to go rather than 80% and warm up to get the 100% It's like, all right. And of course you can imagine where the rest of the story is within three, four months had about five or six of them doing yoga with me every morning. And the only thing I can say to this is not because, you know, I wanted to be this kind of person to be different. It was just because it benefited me. And that's why I love this whole psychology piece. I'm the one that gets the benefits from it. I'm the one that whenever Mm -hmm. I left football after nearly 20 years, had one muscle injury. Now I, is that a coincidence? Is it because I did the yoga? Who knows? But all I know is I benefited from it. And even whenever I came out of professional football, I then had this, what could have been a really tricky transition out of professional sport into doing something else. And for me, it was virtually seamless. And for nearly 15 years, I've now been doing this other world of, as I say, you know, delivering lots of performance psychology for kind of multinationals and big companies like Microsoft and Cisco and KPMG and Deutsche Bank and everyone else. And just because I love this subject, I'm passionate about it, because you could imagine being Irish, you know, pretty good at talking, but actually being able to share this high performance framework that people in the corporate world don't normally come across. But actually, let's be honest, guys, in the sports world, most people don't do very little about
0: it. Right absolutely absolutely and and in that book there, are they well i mean the first thing i love is is i i we transcribe this show and so i'm gonna i'm curious to see how Cajonas comes out in that transcript but <laughs> in an irish got, accent as well yeah that's just gonna exactly be <laughs> oh the irish accent that's gonna be a train wreck when it comes to the transcript but that's okay but uh, yeah that that that's the things i think about as we're going through these interviews that gives you a little you know how the sausage is made here but one of those there's a there's a few real i mean there's there's a lot of great stuff in the book it's a it's a it's not, I would I say it's a quick read. It can be a quick read, but I would say, you know, don't make it a quick read. The great part of one of the great parts about it, we'll put it in the show notes. You can get it on Paul's website for free. And mm-hmm. that was a, a great thing. So, the only thing for the American audience, you're going to have to deal with some S's where C's should be, and, you know, some, some S's where some, I'll say Z's or Z's should be. But, you know, that's okay. You know, I, we're not going to get into that conversation today. I've done that in other podcasts and it doesn't go very well. But it's, it's a great book. And there's, there's lots of, of great principles that we as business people, we as players, we as coaches, basically any human need to be able to, to learn. And it really goes along the theme of the show, which is How are these principles from the game, from elite performance, from sports and particularly football in this case, how does it translate to our life? How does it translate to the different things we're doing? And so there's a couple of those principles I do want to touch on today, but I want to make sure people know that it's not just these couple. There's more to this. And definitely go grab that book. Definitely read the book. Definitely reach out to Paul if you have any questions about it. But the first one is this idea of think about thinking. And can you just talk about that, and you know, maybe give a a player you played with or an example of that that you can you can you can help the audience understand what you mean by that?
2: Well, I suppose the the it just goes back to the end of what I just finished off with at the end of my answer of how many people are working on their mindset, how many people are working on their psychology or 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 attitudes, and and ultimately this is just this is just how we think and. and because the majority of the time that I spent as a professional athlete, all of our, let's say our training was either technical or physical. And I'm thinking, right, I get that because we all need to be a certain level. Technically and physically, you need to be you know, one of the best athletes in the world just to compete at that level. But actually, just to get into the door, just to get into the locker room, you need to be at that level. So once we're all at a certain level, what's then the greatest difference between players? And in my experience, it always came back down to their thinking, their way of thinking, their approach, their attitude, how they turned up every day, how they get over setbacks, how they dealt with getting dropped, how they dealt with missing a big chance in the last minute of the game, how they dealt with walking out in front of 2,000 people who might have been watching one day because there's hardly anyone there and you can't feel like you can perform versus walking out in front of 75,000 people at Old Trafford and not being able to deal with that. So. The only place that this happens or or needs to be worked on is in people's heads. And if I were to ask, and I'm not making this into a session, guys, but if if you two as a, as a very small sample size, if I were to say, but how much of your time do you consciously dedicate to improving the mental side of your performance? Well, if you're anything like the players that I've worked with in the Premier League over the past, whether it's the corporate audiences that I work with, if I'm in front of, 25 Premier League players, maybe at a push, maybe two of them will say that they consciously dedicate time to improving their mental performance. And if I'm in front of a room full of a thousand people, 500, 100 people, if we take it as a percentage, it's normally about 3%. People put their hands up and say, yeah, Paul, I'm working on that, whether it's, you know, I set goals for myself, I'm constantly writing down and reviewing or I'll I'll have affirmations or I'll do vision boards or I'll listen to podcasts. Whatever it is, it's just such a tiny percentage. And it just shocks me because I think that the amount of benefit that I've seen in my life, that's right, let me rephrase that. I made a decision a long, long time ago, probably my early twenties, that the only thing I ever needed to work on in my life was my mindset, my psychology, my way of thinking, my attitude my thought processes. Because if I get that right, every single other aspect of my life falls into place. That will dictate my career. It will dictate my relationships. It'll dictate my finances. It'll be my health and fitness. It'll be my self-esteem, my self-belief of what I'm capable of. My self-worth is all dictated to by how I think and whenever you kind of lay it down in front of people like that and say so how much are you doing most people go zero very little it's not for me to judge people because it's I'm in no position and nor should I be judging anyone else but more of an observation that like look how well for some people life is already going and imagine if you added this which is probably the most important part of life in on top of what you're already doing you see why it's some people's potential just suddenly gets reached once they add. And for me, this is the most important aspect of the conversation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things you say in that chapter that I love, it's it's a book. It's, you know, I I, I first read it in the book Switch on Your Brain by Caroline Leaf. And she said, you know, we can't control our circumstances, but we can control how we react to our circumstances. And I think that that is so much of this is that idea of, you know, are you prepared for that? Are you prepared to know how to react to those failures, to the adversity, to the issues, to the successes? Uh, Because, you know, how you handle success is also something, you know, are you puffing up or are you saying, okay this is just one little mountain or hilltop? Um, yeah. and it's probably going to, you know, there's, there's going to be, there's going to be failure. There's going to be adversity. There's going to be other things. So what does that look like? I, I, I love that part. Yeah. And I wish we had hours and hours to talk about this, but we don't. So we're going to move on to the, the next, uh, the one, uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this real quick too. And I love this one because I've seen this be an issue for so many players. So many people, you know, I have five kids, all of my kids struggle with this. I struggle with this. Paul doesn't, of course, because, you know, Paul, Paul Jobs and that is, is, is perfect. I'm not tall but, enough. I'm not tall yeah, enough to that's true. those things. That's true. But this is this idea of mix intensity with control. Can you talk about this very important thing? And I think particularly for athletes at higher levels, this is a hard one.
2: Yeah, it's, it's more to do with the fact of, of just realizing that it's, it is a choice. It's always these decisions that we have and. And the kind of the example that I use is that you know I, because I wasn't necessarily the most physical player that I didn't always end up in these confrontations probably more than most of the players who who might have done. But also because I was an attacker and a striker, I was always getting kicked, so you always ended up you know in in some sort of confrontation with a with a much bigger guy. But it, it's essentially to say the people who lose their control, who are always you know getting into situations or reacting. Probably, or maybe just the fact that they're reacting rather than responding to things that happened to them on the field. And, And probably the example that I would use in my career is whenever we were playing against Millwall, it was a team in the championship time, always had a reputation for being a really, you know, it was always a horrible game when you went down there. The crowd were giving you, you know, literally dogs abuse from from just walking along the sideline or if you're a substitute or getting close to the side. And I remember just one tackle I had with a certain midfielder who went on to do very well for himself. I won't name him, but just because it doesn't sound very good from his part. But essentially we both went in for a massive, you know, 50-50 tackle. We both were like committed, we were going for it. Both went in try to do what we needed to do. We both hit each other, get up and as we were about kind of like the the go away and sort of there's the fall skidded out the other side of the field the referee just kind of saw the tackle, saw that nothing had happened and as the ball went off the referee turned his head and looked, Ray started running away and at the same time the player got up and turned around and just spat in my face now for probably 99% of people on a field you know that's the lowest of the low. That's the sort of the almost the permission that people can have to turn around and punch him in the face, or to you know stut him in the leg, or whatever you wanted to do. You just react negatively. And I remember just as he did that, and I remember just very quickly in the corner that I could see the referee just give a quick look back. And of course, he didn't see him spitting at me, but he would have seen me punching the guy. I with all my might. And with all my little five foot six frame, I wanted to destroy him at that stage. But because it was a decision, because I was able to control that intensity with the emotional self-control of everything my body said, I should react in a way, but instead I responded because I knew that if I had have gone the other way, I would have got sent off. We probably would have lost the game and the guy would have got one up on me. And that's that difference of just realizing that when you have the ability to choose in all these situations that it, it's not necessarily just red miss comes down, someone tackles you, and you have to re- react in a way that's not going to benefit you or your team. There is a choice.
1: Yeah. Always found as a, as a smaller player that I always meant a little bit more to those guys. If they came after you and you did nothing, it almost made them more mad anyway. You know, as, be, as much as you wanted to, to punch them or cleat them or whatever it was, it almost yeah. made them more mad that you didn't react at all. Uh, yeah. When I figured that out, I realized, okay, I think I got him right where I want him, but you're right. You have to, you still have to make that decision, right? You still have to make that decision every time that, that yeah. you're not going to get aggravated.
2: And that's what I had to do. I felt like I always had to outsmart my opponents, you know, because yeah. again, technically I wasn't the best player in the team. I was obviously wasn't the worst. I was just somewhere in the middle. Again, all the physical element, you know, I was generally quite fast over five or 10 yards, but once over 20, 30 yards, bigger guys were out on me. So, I always felt I had to try and outsmart my opponent to get the advantage. And even if that was me outsmarting them by saying things to them, you know, just to try and put them off the game because as what you can do on, of course, when you're on the field is you can say whatever you want. It might not be, you know, very sportsman-like, but you can say what you want (laughs) as long as you don't go over the line and as long as you don't end up physically hitting them then you can say it because if they react, then they'll get the red card mm-hmm. and you'll be getting a little smile as they walk off down the tunnel. And again, that's all part of the game. It's all like the yeah. competitive element and the gamesmanship of what it can you do to ensure that you win as long as you're staying within kind
1: of the rules of the game. Yeah, there's so, mu- there's so much in there. And, and again, we probably could do five different episodes of podcasts still with Paul on different on these different topics. So mm-hmm. we're just touching the tip of the iceberg with. But one thing I want to talk to you a little bit, Paul, before we kind of start to wrap things up, Obviously, playing the game at, at the highest level and, and against and with some of the best players to ever play the game. Alongside that, who were some of the best leaders that you came across as as players, players you played with, players you played against? Who who are the best leaders that you came across? And, and what was it that made them great leaders that 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 you think? I mean, what, what was it that made them great leaders in, in your mind as, as players? What yeah, sets them um, apart?
2: Very, very, very quickly, I'll give you the kind of top levels playing with them. In my debut team at the Tottenham Hotspur, we had just some of the most incredible players. We had like Teddy Sheringham, who won the treble with Manchester United, went on the star with England up front with Alan Shearer. And again, speaking to him after he was the star of the English team in the Euro 96 European Championships, You know, and going up to hit a penalty for his country in front of 90,000 and just realizing how calm he was and how he just took it all in a stride. That for me was just another element of leadership. It's just like, it's just normal. This is what we do. You know, other people might struggle with this pressure, but for him, it was just like, it's just normal. It's fine. Through to the fact that we had Saul Campbell as the centre half in our team. And he went on to become one of the invincibles with Arsenal playing that team with Thierry Henry and Patrick Vieira and all the rest of those guys. And and Saul just had this complete inner confidence that I probably... very Have I ever seen it with anyone else? Maybe not. But definitely he was the first person that I just... Like, he didn't say a lot. Very quiet. Really introspective guy. But in terms of his ability to believe in himself and the confidence he just oozed and had around around the place for gain just another element of how leadership shows up because there's so many different ways to to be a leader all the way through to you know after the six years I had a Tottenham Hotspur and, and by the time the manager told me to kind of move on find another club ironically because it was too small and I went to <laughs> the Norwich City and and I my first day training was with a guy called Craig Bellamy and Craig Bellamy was only 17, and then Craig Bellamy went on to play for Liverpool and Man City and West Ham and and just just the most incredible player. But at 17, he was the leader within that Norwich City first team because he was telling 32-year-olds, he was telling people who had won FA Cups, he was telling all these senior professionals what they should be doing and the standards that needed to be set because he could see they weren't always attaining those. So there's such an array of 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 characteristics and attributes that that actually contribute to a leader, and I suppose they're just some of the things that that I really love, and then you try and apply them to yourself as well.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. You're not not only do you have a a book out there and and obviously traveling the world, speaking to the large organizations and companies and footballers and clubs around the world. You also have a podcast, right? As well, <laughs> why did you start the uh, Psychology of Success podcast and what do you hope people are gonna learn uh learn from, yeah, from that as listeners? I was
2: just really fascinated and, and I still am, and I and you know, I did I did the first season of it, I just wanted to try and understand why other people are successful. You know, I had a good idea of myself, I had a good idea of kind of the world of football and soccer and and trying to just broaden it out into different sports, you know, everything from you know, rugby to the Olympics to actually we, we had NFL, we had a quarterback on there all the way through to business. We've got like an entrepreneur who'd, who'd taken their their business from like 3 million to a hundred million. The people who had climbed Everest single-handedly rode the Atlantic Ocean and cycled around the world. And you're just going, why, why do people do this? So, you know, <laughs> you wake up in the morning you think, I might go for a 5K run today or I might go for a little <laughs> bike ride in the gym or jump on the Peloton or whatever you're doing. He's thinking... Might just go on and row the row the Atlantic Ocean, (laughs) but it just comes back to that's this. It's almost like if you could visualize this little, so almost like a diagram. If you had a line at the top of the page and a line at the bottom of the page, and in between those two lines, you just wrote this six-letter word that begins with N, and it's just normal. It's normal for me to go out and play in front of seventy-five thousand people and very fortunate, like. When I was playing against Manchester United old Trafford, you score against Cristiano Ronaldo and his team and Roy Keane and Rand Giggs. And for people like my friend James Ketchell, it's just normal for him to think about climbing Everest or rowing the Atlantic or cycling around the world. And it does sound really cliche and really cheesy, but probably a good way to just to kind of end the, the kind of the conversation today is, is how do you raise your normal? And that is also, of course, there's a presupposition in there that you want to or that you should do or you need to. And, and I'm not suggesting that at all, but more if your normal allows you to achieve or have the life that you want, you don't need to do anything. If, like most of the people I come across in, in work or in my personal life, are aspirational, have goals, have you know objectives, have things they're working towards, and what their normal currently is, they actually want to improve what their normal is. And so that for me is always, well, then how do you improve your normal? And for me, the only way to do that is to by working on
0: your mindset. Yeah. yeah, I love I love that. I love that. And you know, we we have questions we ask everyone at the end. I'm I'm just gonna ask you, do you have a do you have a recommendation, something you've watched, read, listened to that has most impacted your thinking on how football explains life and leadership?
2: I wouldn't necessarily of, of how football explains life and leadership. I I listened to a podcast called the High Performance Podcast that I've got a couple of friends who who are the hosts of it. So one of the guys is a guy called Jake Humphrey, who's who's a, a TV presenter over here, does BT Sport and, and is just phenomenally successful in his TV career. And he has a has a film production business and everything, but the, he's the host of the High Performance Podcast. And then there's also a psychology expert in there, a guy called Professor Damien Hughes. And Damien has you know, written books about Barcelona and Manchester United and all these different amazing institutions. But Damien's, you know, just as you can imagine as being a professor of psychology very very up to speed with the latest research and between the two of them they interview some of the most incredibly successful people across every industry on the planet and so listening to those kind of people every day as I you know go and walk the dog or I'm commuting to work or whatever I'm listening to it it just keeps coming back to the same things there's no silver bullet there's no quick wins. There's no, you know, mm-hmm. give me the magic formula. Tell me, tell me what I need to do. It's like no, you just keep working. You keep improving. You keep getting over the setbacks. You keep doing the best that you have with the resources you have at your fingertips. You know, you keep challenging. You keep stepping outside your comfort zone. There's all of these same threads, no matter who they speak to, no matter what their background is, and that for me is just really good reassurance that essentially, if you want to work on something enough. And if you put enough time and effort, you know, most of the times people will do what they want to do because it's not, there's not a magic formula to it.
0: Yeah. I love that. Well, thanks. Thank you so much, Paul, for being a part of the conversation today. Very, very much appreciate you, all you're doing. And just, I I hope we can get you back on and expand this conversation because I know we could have gone much deeper and much longer on all these different things. So thanks a lot.
2: No pleasure, and, and I'm actually going to be in in the U.S. in in January, speaking at the USC convention in Philly. So if anyone's listening, if anyone has some time to come along and listen to my sessions, or or just wants to come up and say hello, then then feel free to do that, or, or of course reach out on the on the socials, whether it's Instagram, Twitter, it's just Paul McVeigh seventy seven or as you said earlier, guys, you know, feel free to head to my website, which is paulmcvay.com, where you can go and download my book for free because it's it's not a money-making opportunity. It's more just trying to spread the word.
0: Yep, absolutely. Well, we'll I, have... I
1: can say from experience, Paul, the first time I was introduced to you was at the United Soccer Coaches Convention a, a few years ago and heard you speak and highly recommend if anybody has the opportunity to to listen to you, to to do so. If they haven't gotten that just from listening to this podcast, they can free that on their own by stepping into a room where you're on stage. And if anything, it's just, you know, it's just the accent. You know, you may not be saying anything. I'm not yeah. sure, Paul, but the accent is worth listening to. <laughs> yeah, so, just exactly. Just we always I, say that. We always say a, that. Learn,
2: if I had a dollar for every time I heard that, I'd be a very
1: rich mom. Yeah. <laughs> we, you know, Paul, I don't get that being from Georgia, from South, yeah. you know, the Southern United States. I don't get that accent people like my accent as much so you're, I, you're very blessed man
0: blessed. never heard that paul and i paul jobs and i that is have talked about taking accent lessons because we'd probably get you know more people listening to this they think we're smarter but you know that's <laughs> we haven't done that yet we haven't done that yet but well, i I, you, I too uh, yeah i was gonna i was gonna mention that i'm glad you did we do have the united states soccer or, i keep saying the united states united soccer coaches <laughs> convention coming up here it is in the united states at in philadelphia but uh, yeah I'll, I'll be there with paul and we will have that link in the in the in the, in the show notes and so anything else you want to learn from this th- that will be in the show notes anything we talked about today paulmcveigh.com. you can you can click you can just go there right now c v e i g h.com And, uh, or you can go to the, to the episode show notes for this and you'll get it there. So all kinds of other stuff there in the show notes, you can check out. If you listen to this podcast, you know, we have some other things. Paul's doing more your way. We have coaching the bigger game as well, but uh, we will also hopefully see you January 11th through 15th in Philadelphia at the United soccer coaches convention, where you will be able to, to hear Paul speak on different things. I'll be speaking there as well. with a panel on a disc and retaining your players. So we got all that, but most importantly, with all this today, we hope that you're taking what you're learning today and, and using all of it to help you be a better uh, leader in all that you do, a better parent, a better spouse, a better friend, and continually remind yourself that in this case today, since we're talking to a man from Belfast, football explains life and leadership. Thanks a lot. Have a great couple of weeks.